I'd like us to gather around a question, to gather around a question for self-reflection this morning. And the question is this, how is your faith? I'm not going to ask you to answer it audibly, but just reflect inside. On, on, a scale, on a scale of 1 to 10, let's say, how is your faith right now? Would you say, would you say that your faith is, is flying right now? That you're believing in Jesus for the impossible, that you're trusting in God in your circumstances, even though your circumstances feel uncertain, that you're believing in God for provision, even though it's approaching the 11th hour, that your faith in Jesus is the very center of your world right now, that it fills your thoughts by day and by night. If that's you, come and pray for me at the end, because uh, I'd appreciate that. Or if you were really honest this morning, would you say, would you say that your faith is kind of hanging by a knife edge, that you haven't really experienced anything of God for a while, that you made it to church this morning only just and maybe then only because you thought you should or because your parents made you, that you haven't seen or encountered God for a while and your prayers, rare though they are, seem to be falling into the void rather than reaching the ears of God if, if there even is one. Maybe if you were really honest, you would say, that's where you were this morning. My guess is, though, that for most of us in the room, we probably find ourselves somewhere in between the two. You know, we're not having a crisis of faith necessarily. You know, we, we, we're not having a crisis of faith. We're not hanging on a knife edge. But, but we're not taking any leaps of faith either. We find ourselves somewhere in between the two. And perhaps for you, there are just some niggling doubts that you can't seem to shake off because the God of power that you hear preached about Sunday by Sunday seems to you to be relatively absent and powerless Monday by Monday. Well, if that's you, you're going to be glad that you came to church this morning because we're going to open our Bibles in a few moments to the story of a man who felt like we so often do. He hadn't seen or experienced anything of God for a while in his life and so his faith had plateaued, his expectancy had diminished and doubt had begun to take hold. And as we explore his story together this morning, we're going to discover why that happens to you and to me and crucially what we can do about it. We'll discover what I have come to believe is the primary enemy of faith in our lives. And we'll discover that this enemy of faith is something that will not only stop our faith from growing, but will actually cause our faith to retreat and diminish. And that this enemy of faith, it's a, it's a subtle one. It's a subtle one that may actually be present in your life right now, gnawing away at your faith, though you were barely aware of its presence. But of course, we're also going to learn how we can do something about it. <laughs> how like Indiana Jones... We can take those leaps of faith out into the gap, the place where our faith is strengthened and comes alive. So with that in mind, if you've got a, a Bible with you, why don't you turn to it or, or, or turn it on? Uh, we're reading from uh, Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at the story of a, of a man by the name of Gideon. As you find Judges chapter 6, let me give you a little bit of backstory. Gideon is part of the, the people of Israel. And at this time, of course, the people of Israel, much of the, the narrative of Scripture is their story and how we find our place in their story. And at this point in their story, the people of Israel, they've been invaded and overcome by a nation called Midian. And they've been driven, driven out of their homes, the Bible says. And as we join the story, we find the people of Israel living in mountain clefts and caves. 
And it's been this way, homeless and impoverished, living in the mountains, not just for a week or two or even a month or two. It's been this way for seven years. And for seven years, the people of Israel, they've been living in the mountains. They've been calling out to God and nothing has been happening. And Gideon, well, you can hardly blame him, can you? In this period of time, his faith has taken something of a hit. Let's read from Judges chapter 6, verse 11, and find out what happened next. It says this, that the angel of the Lord came and sat under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abijahite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. How many of us know that the Lord, he doesn't take us at our circumstance, he takes us at our calling. He doesn't take us, he doesn't see in us what we see in ourselves because he is a limitless God and he's not limited by limitations. And so he doesn't see Gideon hiding in the, wine press, in the wine press from the Midianites, he sees his potential, he sees his future. He doesn't see his present, he sees his potential and he says, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. That's not even my message, I just got excited. Pardon me, Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all of this happened to us? Anyone ask God that question? Where are all these wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now, Gideon really goes in. The Lord has abandoned us and he's given us into the hand of Midian. And because Gideon hasn't seen or experienced anything of God for a while, his faith has taken a hit. Church, have you ever felt like Gideon? Maybe you read something in your Bible about the goodness or the love or the power of God. And then, like Gideon, you said, but God, if that's true... Why has all of this happened to us? Why, God, has it, has it taken us so long to conceive? Why, God, have my children walked away from Jesus? Why, why God, are, are we in debt that we can't seem to escape from? Why, God, am I the only Christian in my classroom, the only Christian in my workplace? Why, God, was that prayer left unanswered? And like Gideon, your faith took a hit. You said, the Lord has abandoned us. But now watch how the Lord responds to Gideon. The Lord turned to him, Gideon, and said, Go in the strength that you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Now, church, I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like very much of an answer to me. (laughs) Because Gideon has poured out his heart and he said, Where have you been, Lord? We've been hiding in the mountains. And you've been nowhere. And the Lord doesn't answer his question. He just says, go. Why? Because the Lord knows that it's in the doing that the believing makes sense. So he just sends him out on mission. He sends him out to participate in his purposes because he knows that's the place where Gideon's faith will be restored and come back to life. God sends Gideon to rescue Israel from Midian. But here's the thing. Gideon doesn't have the faith to believe that God can do it through his life. And so Gideon asks the Lord, for a sign, verse 17. Gideon replied, if I've now found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Now church, I know you've all done this. I know you've done this. I know you've heard the whisper of the Holy Spirit challenging you, stretching you, calling you out of your comfort zone and you said, oh Lord, if it's really you, would you please just give me a sign? And then when it didn't happen, 
uh, and you didn't get the sign you wanted. What you were hoping for, of course, was, was that the angel Gabriel would appear or that you'd walk out of the room and you'd look to the skies and there would be the clouds forming the shape of a cross and you would know that it was the Lord. But because that didn't happen, you resorted to the thing. I know you've done this, Pastor Adam. I'm looking at you. You got your Bible and you went, please, Lord, speak to me. Please, Lord, speak to me. Please, Lord, speak to me. And Bible bingo. Anybody ever done that? Any, okay, yeah. I'd say I did that. I did, I did that. Well, I used to be in a band and uh, we were Christians and we were seeking God for his purposes for us and the next step. And we just couldn't seem to hear God. We didn't know what he was saying. So my friend, I, re- I remember it like it was yesterday. He got his Bible out. He said, right, that's it. And he got his Bible out and he said, okay, here's what the Lord said. Thus saith the Lord. And he said this. The reason that you do not hear is because you are not of the Lord. That was the last time I played Bible bingo. (laughs) Last time. Last time. Never did it again after that. But Gideon asked God for a sign, and God, in his graciousness, he answers with a miracle. But you can tell that Gideon's faith has really been knocked back because even the sign wasn't enough. And so he asked for another one, and God gave it to him. But you can tell that Gideon's faith has really taken a hit Because not only did he get the sign and not only did he get the other sign, he asked for another one. And church, do you know what this tells me? It tells me this, that maybe you know that God has been speaking to you, that he's been asking you to take that that step of faith, of obedience, and you've said to God, God, if it's really you, just give me one more sign. But the truth is, one more sign is not going to do it for you. And maybe rather than praying and asking God for another sign... You should be asking God for the courage to go in the strength that you have. But Gideon, he graciously receives these three signs from God, and he goes, but the the fact that Gideon's faith is faltering hasn't gone unnoticed by God. And so now the Lord is going to do something to help Gideon's faith to fly again, to help Gideon's faith go from here to here. What he does is very unusual. Let's find out what the Lord does. Chapter 7 says this. Early in the morning, Jeroboam, that's Gideon, and all his men camped at the spring of Harod, the camp of Midian, was north of them in the valley near the hill of Moreh. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian in their hands, or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now, announce to the army... Anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left and Gideon freaked out. That's not in the text. I'm, I'm just imagining that he did. But the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. Thank you, Lord. You're so kind. <laughs> if I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water And there the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who needle down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs, and the rest got down on their knees to drink. The Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men that lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. Okay, so quick summary, because this isn't making a lot of sense to me. God has called Gideon to take a leap of faith. Gideon has authentically expressed his concerns. He doesn't believe that God can do it through them. His faith has taken this this knockback. God has noticed. And now 
God's great idea to solve this problem, God's great idea to help Gideon's faith fly again, is to give him less than he needs to accomplish the thing he's calling him to do. Why would he do this? Why would he do this? Because I don't know about you, but, but I never prayed a prayer that went anything like this. God, you know, I hear what it is that you're asking of me, but God, the problem is I have too much money. <laughs> and Lord, I've, just, I've got too many resources. And Lord, there are too many people around me to help me. And Lord, if I was going to be really honest and vulnerable, I'd have to tell you that my courage is too great, Lord. Um, my faith is too strong. Lord, will you take it away from me, Lord, please? Did anyone ever pray a prayer like that? No, because you're not crazy. So what is God up to? Why on earth does God reduce Gideon's means in order to increase his faith? And the answer to this, and to the reason that you and I often find ourselves flagging in our faith, is found right here in verse 2. It says this, The Lord said to Gideon, You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. And right here in Judges chapter 7 verse 2, we find the secret to why faith plateaus and diminishes in our lives. Right here in Judges 7 verse 2 is revealed the primary enemy of faith in our lives. Would you like to know what it is this morning church? If you wouldn't like to know what it is, just because I'm a guest, just pretend that you want to know. Would you like to know what it is this morning, church? (laughs) See, the primary enemy of faith in my life, in your life, is... Actually, I don't think you're ready to know about it just yet. Because first, I want to tell you what the primary of faith in your life isn't. See, the primary enemy of faith in your life isn't doubt. Because a faith without doubt is kind of like a body without any antibodies. And actually, doubt can be a good thing for faith. Why? Because it causes you to ask deeper questions and get more solid answers. The primary of enemy of faith in your life is not doubt. No, the primary enemy of faith in your life is self-sufficiency. Self-sufficiency is when you got your life covered and comfortable. Self-sufficiency is when you are dependent on you and, and no one else. Self-sufficiency is when no gap exists between my calling and my capacity, between my dreams and my means, between my prayers and my own ability to bring about the answers to those prayers. Self-sufficiency is when I live my life in such a way that if I'm really, really honest, other than, you know, hoping to get a good parking space at the supermarket, I don't actually need God to show up in my life. I've got it covered and I'm comfortable. See, it's kind of like this. When there is no gap between your calling and your capacity, between your dreams and your means, your prayers and the answers to those prayers, you can step from here to here without any need of the intervention of God. You can say, oh, I can cover that with my skill set. You say, yeah, I've got, I've, got, I've got the capacity to sort that out. Yeah, 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 I've, I've, got, I've got that sorted within my resource my qualifications, you say? Yeah, I've probably got the people around me to make that happen. Yeah, I, I, I can believe for that. I've got faith for that. And so what happens is you don't need God to show up. 
You don't need God to show up as your provider. You don't need God to show up as your comforter. You don't need God to show up as your strength or as your refuge, as your wisdom. You've got your life covered and comfortable. But you see, what happens is, when there is no gap, the Lord becomes an add-on to a life that you've already got covered. The Lord becomes a take-it-or-leave-it option that you can pick up on a Sunday and forget about again by Monday. Because you don't need God to show up in your life. But here's the thing. (laughs) When there is a gap, suddenly you can't step from here to here without the intervention of God. It's impossible. Suddenly you don't have the strength. Suddenly you don't have the wisdom. Suddenly you don't have the capacity. Suddenly you don't have the resource. And you have no other option than to drop to your knees and call out to him in prayer. And say, Lord, please show up. You have no other option than to say, God, if you don't show up here, we're in big trouble. But here's the thing, church. It's when you step out into that gap that you find out that God is who he says he is. It's when you step out into that gap that you find that he's true to his promises. That you find that he's good. That you find he is faithful. That you find he is your strength. That you find he is your wisdom. That you find he is your resource. It's when you step out into that gap that you experience God's power. And it's when you experience God's power that your faith is strengthened and comes alive. And so do you see what the Lord is doing for Gideon? He's creating a gap. He's creating a gap so that God can show up and show him his power so that Gideon's faith can be strengthened. Guys, if you want a strong faith, you have to create a gap between you and your destination. If you want a living and a vibrant faith, you have to live in that space where you're saying, Lord, if you don't show up now, I'm in trouble. That's a gap prayer. That's the place where your faith comes alive. You have to move from a position of self-sufficiency to a position of God-dependency. It's where your faith comes alive. It's where your faith comes alive. So I want to ask you the same question, but let's ask it in a different way. Not how strong is your faith, but if you were going to reflect again this morning, how big is that gap in your life right now on a scale of 1 to 10? Just reflect, how big is that gap in your life? Are you self-sufficient? Or are you looking for God to show up? You know, we've got a vision uh, uh, back at home, something called Limitless Pioneers, where we're seeking to pioneer 100 new youth ministries through churches that don't have any young people. I want to let you into a little secret about that vision. I can't do it. (laughs) I can't do it. We've got nowhere. We don't have the finance that we need. We don't have the people that we need. I certainly don't have the experience or expertise that I need. But you know, I found out that it's in our weakness he's strong. I find out that that when you step out into the gap, that's when God shows up. Because he's the God of the gap. So as I begin to round this up, we're left with three options this morning. Three options for how we respond to this message. The first option, option one, is to be self-sufficient. To be comfortable. To build for yourself a risk-free, comfortable existence that doesn't cost you anything or keep you awake at night with a holy discontent or cause you to drop to your knees and cry out to God in prayer because you don't really need God to show up in your life. You've got it covered and comfortable. 
So option one of the three options I'm going to give you today is the easiest option. <laughs> but I need to give it to you with fair warning. Option one will kill your faith. Why? Because you can have comfortable living or you can have a living faith, but you cannot have both. That's option one. Option two is perhaps the most painful of the three options. Okay, Because option two is that like Gideon, you wait for God to show up and carve out some gaps for you. Here's how this happens. See, God, I believe, is way more concerned about your calling than your comfort. So if the Lord starts to notice that your faith is plateauing or, or, or diminishing, then sometimes what the Lord will do, because, don't get this wrong, because he loves us, because of his kindness, because of his goodness, he will show up and carve out some gaps for us. He will show up and allow us to go through a financial challenge or a family crisis or to lose our job. Or the people or the things or the places that we were most dependent upon. Why? Because it causes us to throw ourselves into a place of dependency upon God again. God strips us of our self-sufficiency so that he is our only resource. He creates the gap for us because he knows that worse for us than to experience a time of pain is for our faith to die. And so he carves out a gap for us. That's option two. Option three, no prizes for guessing, is the one that I'm here to encourage you to go for. Because option three is to get out a shovel and to carve out some gaps for yourself. How do we do that? We do that by dreaming a little bigger. <laughs> we do that by taking a risk. We do that by attempting the impossible for his glory and in his name. You see, if self-sufficiency is, is the enemy of faith, then risk is the catalyst of faith. Why? Because if we're not taking any risks, then we don't need any faith. So, so if we want to have a living and a vibrant faith, we need to learn to do two things. First, we need to learn to see risk as our friend to be embraced, not our enemy to be avoided. And secondly, we, we, we need to learn to see comfort and safety as our enemy to be avoided, not our friend to be embraced. Let me ask you a question. When was the last time that you attempted something for the Lord that caused you to get on your knees and say, God, if you don't show up now? Because that, that's a gap prayer. That's a gap prayer. See, I believe that if you can fulfill your dream on your own, your dream is too small. I believe that if you can fulfill your dream without God, then your dream is too small for God. We've got to carve out some gaps so that we will know that God is who he says he is. Guys, do you remember that time when there was, Elijah was with the prophets of Baal? Do you remember that time? And do you remember what he did? He got the altar and then he got buckets of water and he chucked it over the wood. What on earth was he doing? I'll tell you what he was doing. Do you remember that time? When David refused Saul's armour and went to face Goliath with nothing but a slingshot and a few stones, what was he doing? Do you remember that time when Jesus sent out the 72 with nothing but a, but a, but a bag and, a, and the coat on their backs and said, don't take anything else with you? What was he doing? How about that time when Peter stood at the edge of the boat and he said, Lord, if it's you, call me to come out to you. What was he doing? He was creating a gap. And church, is it not true that it was in those instances as they took that step into the gap that they experienced God's power? 
Is it not true that that was when they found out that God is who he says he is? So you see, I found out that you won't encounter God if you don't depend on God. And my simple assignment this morning is to encourage you to carve out a gap so that you will know that God is who he says he is. What, that, what might that mean? That might mean for you walking across the, the room, the office, the school, to share your faith with your friend who doesn't know Jesus. Maybe it means going to that CU in, in, in that Christian union in your school, whatever you guys call that here, and you know, maybe not drawing the blinds. <laughs> what does it mean for you? Maybe, maybe it means that when you go to work on Monday morning and, and somebody asks you, hey, how was your weekend? The first thing you talk about isn't the r- rugby results. Maybe it means that the next time somebody says, oh, you know, my back's feeling a bit sore, that you offer them a prayer before you offer them a paracetamol. Maybe it looks like giving a, a generous financial gift as the Lord calls you to somebody who is in need. Maybe for you, you came to church this morning already knowing that God was calling you to take that step of faith into the gap. And this is the confirmation that you needed to go in the strength that you have. Guys, whatever it looks like for you, do whatever it takes to carve out some gaps. Church, don't take your dreams to heaven with you because heaven doesn't need them. They were placed in you by God to revolutionize the people and the places and the communities around you today. And don't let the fear of losing what you already have cause you to lose what God has for you. Because he is the God of the gap. Whatever it takes for you, carve out some gaps. Because you can have comfortable living or you can have a living faith, but you cannot have both. If you want a living faith, if you want a vibrant faith, if you want a a faith that is alive and jumps out of your heart and your soul, let me encourage you. Carve out some gaps because my God is the God of the gap.